If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a reoccurring or one-time donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate Now button. Donations made to Mayflower's Radio Fund are tax-deductible and go toward keeping this podcast available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City by the Reverend Lori Walkie, Associate Minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe that religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Lori Walkie. Welcome to Mayflower Congregational United Church of Christ, where no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. Will you pray with me? The church is a bit on edge, Holy One. The post office is under attack and it feels personal. After all, more than half of the New Testament is someone else's mail. We take correspondence very seriously around here. The Apostle Paul is a little chippy in his letter to the church in Thessalonica. And as we regularly do, we ask ourselves, who exactly is he addressing when he writes, and we urge you, beloved, to admonish the idlers, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all of them. I mean, it could be that we are the idlers, the faint-hearted, the weak, and the them that require patience. Or it might be that we aren't doing such a great job of of advising the idlers, encouraging the faint-hearted, helping the weak, or being patient, and we need to do better. We suppose This is why Paul talks about grace so much, because he knows we need it so. He begins and ends this particular letter with it, grace to you and peace, and then the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Perhaps we should consider beginning and ending all of our encounters with each other this way, to see what changes, or perhaps to see who changes. And and we know that some may pray, God save the post office, but since this letter encourages us not to be idle, it's probably our job to save the post office, so we'll be off to buy some stamps now, okay? Amen. The sermon this morning comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 32, verses 22 through 31. 
The same night he got up and took his two wives, his two maids, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and likewise everything he had. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. I begin with a word of gratitude. My friend and colleague, the Reverend Sheridan Eyrick, preached a sermon on this text that I have not been able to get out of my head or out of my heart since she preached it. This sermon is built on her sermon, and those of you who know her will recognize her voice. This is a story about receiving a blessing. Blessings are something this church knows something about. It is our tradition when we mourn the death of a beloved to offer them a blessing which is our catch-all word for thanking and praising and endowing love and grace. We bless babies and marriages and graduations and the genes we collect and send to the Homeless Alliance. But these are not the only kinds of blessings, of course. Some blessings are much harder fought and won. We don't tend to think about blessings as the times we lie awake all night alone, struggling and wounded, but that's the kind of blessing we find in Genesis 32. Jacob had been away from home for many years and wanted to return. There was no shortage of anxiety about this homecoming, though. The family dynamics between Isaac's twin boys Esau and Jacob, were, was close to reality show-level drama. You'll remember that Jacob had bought Esau's birthright for a meal and then tricked their father into giving him servants and land that was supposed to go to the older brother. Jacob had left home to find a wife, but also to get away from a brother for whom there was no love lost. Jacob's trickery was returned to him several times over. He worked for seven years in order to marry Rachel, only to have his father-in-law substitute her sister Leah on the wedding night. So Jacob worked another seven years to marry Rachel, too, two wives. 
It's always important to remember stories like this when in, you're in conversation with people who want to define marriage using biblical tradition. They forget that it almost always involves concubines, which isn't exactly traditional family values. Those pesky biblical details. But back to the story. Jacob wanted to return home. So he loaded up about 17 minivans and headed out, knowing that he may not receive a prodigal son welcome. As they got closer, Jacob sent messengers ahead to announce his arrival and offer gifts to his brother. The messengers delivered the gifts and came back to Jacob with the news that Esau was coming to meet him with 400 men. This does not sound like a welcome home party, and Jacob is understandably afraid. He divides up his camp so that some of them might survive of Esau's men attack, and then settled in for the night. But not before he sent Leah and Rachel and their 11 children and all of their possessions across the river so that they might have more time to escape should they too need to flee. And then Jacob hunkers down for the night. This morning, we gave our third graders Bibles from their church family. It is one of the physical ways we remind them that we work out our faith and live out our faith as a community. We're here for one another to share our joys and concerns, to study scripture, which can be both sweet and sour, and to practice looking for and finding God all around us from the wonder of the star-filled sky to the dusty red dirt beneath our feet. However, as Joy Moore notes, even though the consequences of our wrestling with God are almost always communal, there is still an individual reckoning that we all must make. This is not news to most. Our moments of wrestling usually occur when we are alone, when we first feel the lump where one should not be, on the drive home from the doctor's office, when the relationship seems broken beyond repair, when we've decided to go ahead and file, when none of our options are good. They happen when we, like Jacob, lie awake in the middle of the night, worried and anxious and afraid. This is where we find Jacob staring up at the sky, the running water whispering in his ear so that he cannot forget the barrier that separates him from all that he holds dear in that moment. Remember, Jacob is alone. He took them and sent them across the stream and likewise everything that he had. Jacob was utterly alone. Even if we have not been completely removed from our loved ones, from our homes, from everything that brings comfort and assurance, we know that this indeed is what the dark night of the soul feels like to be separated from all of that. But Jacob also isn't alone 
there's an interesting use of a semicolon in verse 24, which reads, Jacob was left alone, semicolon, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. The English teachers in this congregation would have me remind you that the most common way to use a semicolon is to connect two independent clauses that could otherwise be separated by a period, but the semicolon eliminates the pause between the two statements. Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. He was alone, but he was not alone. The text does not care about answering all the questions we have about this situation. Where did the man come from? Did he just tackle Jacob out of nowhere? The text isn't worried about those details. There is only clarity around the one thing, that Jacob is alone and not alone. Our tradition tells us that the stranger in the story is God, but God in this story does not act the way we usually describe God to our children. The God we describe to our children is comforting all of the time, patient all of the time, peace-giving all of the time. The truth is, of course, that we almost never recognize God when God shows up. More often than not, God appears as a stranger, and even, as Frederick Wiepner observed, as the beloved enemy. And God just isn't comforting as much as we'd like. Instead, God is constantly trying to get us to become who we are meant to be, our best selves, which can be difficult and painful. Growth is not easy. It would do our children more good, and, and us too, if we remember to include this story's description of God, where God shows up as a stranger in the darkness who does not calm Jacob's fears or assuage his angst. God does not show up to tell Jacob that all is forgiven. God does not show up to tell Jacob that he shouldn't worry. God does not make any promises about protecting Jacob from his brother. Instead, God shows up with an unrecognizable face as a force to be reckoned with and all through the night, they struggle. The Lutheran theologian Joseph Sittler wrote that we have to develop a spirituality of the word of God. He warned against pouring a theological splash of generality on curious and puzzling texts, saying that disciplined spirituality requires that we fight the text that we back it into a corner and make it deliver. We do not often think of God and our life of faith this way, but I think that it is more familiar to us than we think. In my own life, for every moment in which God has anchored me and granted me peace that surpasses understanding, there is also a moment when God has unmoored me and shaken me. And faith, which sometimes feels as easy and natural as breathing, 
feels at other times like something I am clutching with both hands, pinning down in the mud while I am breathless and in pain, demanding that it not leave me just yet. And I know this is true for so many of you. As I imagine you sitting with me in this sanctuary, I recall your stories, people who have wrestled and who have held on. You have held on to scripture even when it has been wielded against you. People who have held on to community, believing that what unites us in Christ is indeed more powerful than what divides us. People who have held on to God even when God looks like a stranger even when God was not the patient and loving shepherd, even when it feels like God has wrenched not only our hips, but our very lives out of joint. When the sky began to change color and the first hint of dawn was on the horizon, Jacob was still hanging on for dear life. And as the text said, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint. But still, Jacob held on. I will not let go unless you bless me. Only then did Jacob receive the blessing. But first the wrestling, first the holding on. The blessing had a cost. The blessing always has a cost. You can't wrestle all night with God and emerge unscathed. You can't catch a glimpse of God in the pale light of morning and remain unchanged. The sun rises and Jacob prepared to face an uncertain future, limping and no longer Jacob at all, but Israel. My sense from having sat with so many of you on the church porch or on your own porch is that most of us seem to be in a time of wrestling. When you ask someone how they are doing, the one word response these days is, okay, and it weighs heavy with meaning. And sometimes we can't even utter, okay. When I ask people how they are doing, most often they just look at me and take a deep breath and let out a long sigh and I find myself nodding in agreement. This is the wrestling, and this is the moment we decide whether or not to hang on for the blessing. The good news is that we have a story for this. The night is dark, and the river is singing beside us. And we are afraid, we are anxious, 
of what's next. We are alone, but we are not alone. God is down in the mud with us. The question is whether or not we will hold on, whether or not we will be changed, whether or not in the cold light of dawn we will refuse to quit until we become who we are meant to be, whether we will demand a blessing even though we are tired and worn. As the poet Jan Richardson wrote, if this blessing were easy, anyone could claim it. As it is, I am here to tell you that it will take some work. That is the blessing that visits you in the struggle, in the wrestling, in the striving. This is the blessing that comes after you, after you have left everything behind, after you have stepped out, after you have crossed into that realm beyond every landmark you have known. This is the blessing that takes all night to find. It's not that this blessing is so difficult, as if it were not filled with grace or with love that lives in every line. It's simply that it requires you to want it, to ask for it, to place yourself in its path. It demands that you stand to meet it when it arrives, that you stretch yourself in ways you didn't know you could move, that you agree to not give up. So when this blessing comes, born in the hands of the difficult angel who has chosen you, do not let go. Give yourself into its grip. It will wound you, but I will tell you there will come a day when what felt to you like limping was something more like dancing as you moved into the cadence of your new and blessed name. Amen. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Lori Waukee, Associate Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. with adult education classes at 10 a.m. Mayflower also has a full church school for children of all ages available during the 11 a.m. service. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.